It's me, it's me, it's the ROB mobbing once again with the dirt sheet provider, Lee Walker, right here on Perched on the Top Rope. The following announcement has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Welcome everyone to Perched on the Top Rope, and as you heard from that opener, we have Neil Perrett. Neil, how you doing today? Fantastic, as always. Good, to be, good day to be alive. <laughs> Like every not, wrong, not wrong there. Rob, how you doing? I'm awesome. I am excited to have Neil here. I dressed for the occasion. Oh, we are ready to rock and roll. There's so much we're going to cover. For life. Neil, I got to ask, how does somebody who grew up not really a wrestling fan end up working in WCW? Oh, that's funny that you knew that. Uh... I was into sports. My brothers and I both, we all played sports. I was the middle of three boys and had a bunch of male cousins and just really loved athletics. But I really wasn't allowed to watch wrestling because my mom knew of kids that lived down the street. They were really into it. And they had the different magazines with the Crimson Mask showing everywhere, something like that. I'll have blood space. I'm like, okay, well. But uh, we, we watched a little bit. We knew that. When you got in a fight, if you punched each other in the face, you know, one time you punch somebody in the nose, it's done. You're not going to sit there and repeatedly sit there and let somebody punch you in the face like 10 times. So we just thought it was fake from the very beginning and weren't really fans of it. Now, not to say that I still believe that because I don't. I believe that it is uh, an art form and the athleticism involved with it is just amazing. But, you know, back then as a kid, I really didn't realize. So I didn't really gravitate to watching it at all. But I really enjoyed the character development eventually in my career. But there's several steps that got to working with WCW. I, I actually went to college for, I knew what I wanted to do in 10th grade. I knew I wanted to be a video producer. So I went to college and got a degree in radio, TV, film from Bowling Green State University in Ohio. And then made my way down south to try to work for Ted Turner eventually. But I directed a nightly sports show uh, after I was uh, actually first, I worked with uh, Jody Hamilton, the flame, the assassin. We did deep South championship wrestling. And I was working for a guy that worked for NBC news and he was in the Southeast news bureau in Atlanta. And he taught me how to wire together and direct multi-cameras. And a friend of mine, Brian Gartman also was with the company and he was the cameraman at ringside. And we had a guy who's still in the film business, Rob Bach, who, did a lot of the camera work and helped with the lighting. But that was my first venture into wrestling. And I really enjoyed it. I worked with uh, wrestling number two, the flame, the assassin, wildfire, Tommy rich, Luke Graham, uh, Joe Petticino and Freddie Miller were the people that were the announcers. So then after that, I, I did a nightly sports show and directed that. And uh, consequently after that collapsed, I actually directed the superstars of wrestling show with, Bonnie Blackstone and Joe Petticino for a little while as a freelancer and had fun with that, of course. But then I got uh, a call from a producer, Chris Huber, that was with WCW. He said, hey, Neil, do you want to do audio for, for wrestling promos? I'm like, sure. I've never done it before, but I know I could. Because <laughs> I did rant on audio for that show that I talked about that I directed. And after I got there, I started to kind of hear what they had to say. And after a while, they got to know my face. So I thought I could give them tips and pointers on how to get a little bit better. So I told them I was actually a package producer, though I did 
promos for sports that lasted like two to three minutes. And once they gave me one, after that, I was a feature producer from then on. So that's a short story. Okay, wow. All right. Um, I know Rob had a question he wanted to ask right away. So go I, ahead, Rob. I was, I've been dying to ask you this only because when I left, and I was, as I was telling Lee, when I left uh, WWE, I started helping some of some of my friends on on like the the memorabilia circuit, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And we started doing comic cons and things like that, if you will. And JJ Walker, who was infamous in the 1970s for good times, oh, never yeah. wanted to do never wanted to do shows, but memorabilia shows because he didn't want to say dynamite. Mm -hmm. Did you ever did, did, being the voice, if you will, um, do you, did, did you ever experience that? maybe walking in Walmart and someone notices who you are and they just stop you grabbing a loaf of bread, do the voice, do the voice. Uh, it's actually just the opposite. Really? <laughs> yeah. Actually I was in new Orleans. I had that same shirt you got on. Um, I was probably a little bit bigger though. And, uh, cause I get uh, more weight than you, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but I was down in new Orleans wearing the NWO shirt and somebody, I mean, we had, we had been uh, on Burberry street or something. And this end up person was wearing an NWO shirt and some, one of my friends said, Hey, that's the voice of the NWO. And he goes, no, you're not. So then I did it for him. He goes, you're not. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it's but it's fun uh, though, to know somebody that is like, say, if you go to a wrestling event and then maybe I wouldn't have NWO stuff on or something where I would say, Hey, you're an NWO fan. I start talking to him a little bit. And then all of a sudden I'd whip the voice on there. Their eyes get huge, like, oh wow, you know. Kind of back <laughs> my childhood. It's kind of weird. It's, it's I just, I just surprising. had visions. I just had visions of people picking out their cell phones, going, "Do my voicemail? Do my voicemail? Right. Can you do yeah, that?" Yeah. <laughs> For the right price, I think. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now, Neil, I, I, I had heard that your brothers uh, were fans of wrestling. Uh, when you started working for WCW, were, were, did they had already been out of wrestling? Did it bring them back in as fans with you working there at all? Well, we had we had seen wrestling. Um, you couldn't hardly get away from it. I actually used to get kind of mad when I was in college because they would break in for Saturday Night Live and they would have a wrestling event on there. And I got I did get to see Hogan and Macho Man and Piper and some of those uh jimmy snook and some of those other guys which was kind of entertaining I, I like that and i like piper's pit and i like uh, i did see i think the macho man and elizabeth get married so that was cool to eventually work with watch man but uh yeah i mean once their brother did something exciting like that of course they want to come and be involved and it was it was always fun to have them at the events my brother got to be friends with uh, ray lloyd who is glacier and couple other people got to go over to Canyon's house and, you know, things like that. Meet Flair and stuff like that. <laughs> so, <it's laughs> hopefully hopefully no else. plane rides. Hopefully no plane rides, Neil. One of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, horrible, horrible <laughs> we know that besides NWO, you had actually worked on a lot of other things. One thing I found interesting enough before we dive into the NWO, uh, April 26th, 1996. A WCW backstage lot match between Finley and Regal. 
how was it planned and okayed for William Regal to have his nose broken? Well, that, as far as I know, the lot match, I wasn't involved with that. But if you're talking about the time when Regal did have his nose broken, that was a, he and Fit Finley, and they were setting a spot up down by the ring. It was actually by, we, we wanted to get the perfect angle, of, of course, and we had them both positioned, and we asked them kind of how he wanted to do it and what angle we should shoot it at. And then we did actually put the camera right behind over the shoulder shot and see the actual crunch of the nose. And I know the audio guy, whether it be Joe Pettacino or, uh, I'm, excuse, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Joe Sparacino or Rick Wallace, I know they cranked it up really loud <laughs> when they had a chance on that, on that mic so they hear that pop. And that was one of the worst things you ever heard because the, everybody in the truck knew it was coming, you know. <laughs> and we all kind of went like, oh, geez, man, that was bad. Horrible yeah, I, I was just how how did <laughs> I'm just I'm kind of baffled. Like, how does that how do you just be okay with someone just hey, we're gonna break your nose tonight on TV? Okay, uh, crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, you were you're asking about uh, being involved in television. Actually, sure, I was on TV before with uh, Van Hammer. I was Van Hammer's drummer <laughs> in his music video, and I, I got. I got beat up in a bar one time. Somebody was, uh, I don't know, was mouthing off or something like that. And I can't remember who the guy was. So I, I'll have to find out. But uh, I was playing pool and I was the other person and that they threw into the uh, pool cues. But I can't, I can't remember what that was for. But that was like when I first got, got there and I worked for WCW. Oh, wow. So oh, I, all right. I, I had been on TV before and didn't kind of remember that until you just said something. <laughs> okay so so that that actually brings me uh to something like this because that's kind of like to me like an easter egg you know using um people in the company on tv and i believe you did that with a with the the one rick flair segment where macho man and somebody else can be seen driving one of the hummers and stuff yeah well that's really good that you know that um that's pretty deep research there so yeah, when Ric Flair got beat up in the field, which was kind of a painful video for me to do, it just lasted so long and just, I don't know, I, just, I didn't really like it all that much, but I mean, it was high production value for sure, but uh, it was funny that both uh, Macho Man and I think uh, Piper was riding in the same, in the same Hummer. <laughs> they were involved with the video. You never saw them, but they were, they were just there just to have fun and uh, loan their Hummer to the show. So yeah, there was two. There's two Hummers driving around in the circle. A lim limousine that Eric was driving that brought Flair and his lawyers. And the funny thing about that whole shoot was, they flew me down to Tampa. I think it's down in Tampa somewhere. Yeah, it was. And they flew me down there and took me to this airport where Flair was going to be. And Flair comes in in this Learjet, and I was thinking, you know, okay, well these segments are talking about. We're going to just probably make it up where we're going to put some lights on some poles and get in a real dark spot in the hangar of this airplane where the airplane was stored and make it look like we're driving down the road to do these segments. They said, no, you got to shoot them while we're driving down the road. I'm like, really? I mean, you know, the camera's going to bounce up and down and I don't know. We did it and it, we pulled it off, but uh, it, it was fun to do because 
Bill Tinsley, the great cameraman I worked with, I actually ended up running the audio and producing at the same time and directing. And we had to like switch seats a couple times to make it like a film. So mm -hmm. we made it look like three or four cameras were in there, but only one was there. We shot that whole segment with several cameras on the beat up scene, but the part in the limousine, we shot that all with one camera. That was cool. That was fun. I like to do stuff like that. And Hogan was oh, wow. really good at knowing what, what he, we needed out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have a question for the both of you now. Um, Rob, since you were a writer in WWE, Neil, many hats in WCW. Rob, how close were the writers working with the producers in WWE? And Neil, same question, but as a producer, how close were you working with the writers in WCW? Well, I'll answer that one first. Okay. <laughs> Rob, go ahead. Um, I mean, in WWE or WWF, um, we worked hand in hand with the producers. But to us, producers were wrestling agents. We, we call them wrestling agents. Um, you know, and, and back then, you would work with a Terry Taylor um, and people like that. You'd come up with the idea or I'd come up with the idea. You then pass it on to the producer slash agent. And the agent would then kind of come up with the whole thing with the with the with the talent um you know we didn't have any hand in in shooting things vince always had his hand on how he wanted it shot and how everything had to look um so from from a production standpoint that's how i can answer that i know neil did a lot with tv and video and things like that so he'd be more on like the he'd probably be the one that vince would be yelling at um from a production standpoint Mm -hmm. yeah i think you're right rob because they kind of left it up to us to make it happen they told the scenario to the wrestler and then we just kind of helped them along we obviously asked what they wanted out of it or we'd ask our bosses you know what, what do you ultimately want out of this and then we get kind of a plan together but as far as on location goes the producers would work closely with the talent and like macho man we'd go over what he's going to say and everything and it was fun because I got to act like Macho Man, too Macho Man. <laughs> and we just kind of would come up with what he what he should say and how he should act and things like that. And that's kind of how we did it. But we really oftentimes didn't have an agent like next to us or anything. We just did it ourselves. Well, that, that begs the question for me. Um, and obviously, you worked a lot with the NWO and things of that nature. When the infamous <laughs> promo the black, the very first, one of the very first black and white promos that we ever got to see, Hogan, Hall, and Nash. Um, there's many, many, many stories, depending on who you want to listen to and who you want to talk to, from Eric to Kevin to Scott to Hogan, um, where Hogan kind of just goes off for many, 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 many minutes, just talking and talking. Um, yeah. Talk to me about the production of of what of what that was like when you being the producer obviously have to kind of figure out how are we gonna how are we gonna bring this down to a segment for nitro that's a good question when we did those we knew there was going to be an issue between egos wanting to get involved and dominate so the whole idea of the quick cutting was so we could even everything out and the hardest part about the whole production was not that they rambled on so much, but kind of memorizing what were the good 
sound bites that you needed to tie together and then how to tie them together because somebody would say something good and funny and relevant but you would have to kind of go okay i saw hogan said this and then scott said this but i need big sexy to say this to tie those lines together so that was the most difficult part of doing the nwo segments but the quick cutting with the Kemper Rogers did so masterfully uh, helping design all that film clicks and everything like that. And then we had a cool thing of the NWO with the logo that ran across their bodies on the first couple, but it was just kind of, I don't know, it was a, it was a pain to work with it. it. It didn't give us much lighting capability. So we just kind of dropped that after a couple, couple of them. So the first one or two, you'll see an NWO going across their body. And it was a little, what's called a gobo, which is a cutout of the NWO logo shot through a real bright light anyway that that section of the getting from one point to another kind of memorizing those little clips in your mind and then having them fix that was the hardest part and probably the most exciting part for us to do because you know we had to boil it down like you said robert they talked for a long time you had to boil it down to something digestible you know five minutes or whatever <laughs> Well, you know, speaking of those promos and all the different things that you guys did, one of the things I found interesting was they were quick clips, but there was moments where you had fun with it too. And what I mean by that was you had, you had brought up about using your own personal camera in, in another interview and allowing Scott Hall to film mm -hmm. was, was that just something on the fly or was that something that you had you had already previously had in your mind to do i always thought that the productions and i don't think wcw ever really took advantage of this and i think wwe did to a certain degree but if you ever watch something like entertainment tonight that used to be popular where they would go behind the scenes and show what the lights set up looked like or the production crew was involved. I don't think we ever did that. And I think that's what people really do want to see. So that was kind of the idea behind a lot of the NWO was to see the grandiosity, I guess you might say, of all the lights and everything around it. And the fan, I think, wants to see and feel what it is like to be a wrestler doing a promo. So that's when I thought it would be good to hand my camera to Scott Hall. But I, I had planned that before we ever got there. It wasn't just a spur of the moment thing. It was because when we would stop down between each of the takes or the lulls, we don't want the tape to run forever. So mm -hmm. we would use clap, we we'd actually use that clapper for real to make uh, our all of our cameras line up because back then they didn't have something like Pluralize, which is a good app that they have now that you can just line stuff up with audio. You didn't have that back then. You had to do it old school film style. And that's how we kept everything running at the same time because, you know, matching the VHSC camera that Scott Hall or whoever happened to grab it used compared to the professional cameras, you know, that's not easy, easily done back then, but uh, that, that kept us in line. Okay. Um, now, when it comes to the music and the logo of, of the NWO, I, I know that on 83 weeks, uh, Eric credits, uh, I believe it was the senior producer, Craig, Craig Ladders. I don't want to, 
Yeah, Leathers. Craig Leathers. I didn't want to pronounce his last name wrong. I'm terrible at that. Um, and, and you were on a podcast called, uh, I believe it was Trash Talking or Talking Trash Podcast, uh, maybe a year ago. And you had credited, and you, you said some lady, but you didn't know her name, and you wanted to find her. Um, did you we ever find her? We never did find her. She works at Disney Graphics. And Craig was involved, but the guy that was closer involved was Rob Wright. He was a senior editor and graphics person. He actually went on to work with Larry King doing his promo stuff for CNN, but he had worked with Craig Leathers at WWF before they ever got to WCW, but he was the primary person that was involved with the logo with the designer lady that was with Disney, actually. All right. TV timeout. Super funny story. Neil, the mystery is over. I know exactly who you're talking about because I do work for Walt Disney. Oh, when I started the- when I started working for Walt Disney, I was known as the wrestling guy. And they actually brought me, they said, we have to introduce you to somebody. I know exactly who you're talking about. Her name escapes me, but it is in my computer sitting right next to me here. This is my home office here at Walt Disney. I will, I will email her tomorrow morning and let her know to reach out to you. I, oh, I, as soon as you said that, I just, I popped in my brain and went, I know exactly who he's talking about. Oh, really? Wow, Robert. Yes. She still is here at Walt Disney. She still is uh, in, the, in the media relations and all of that department. Media being uh, like TV and things like that for people who think yes. of talking public relations. That's so, great. Yes. Well, the, the PR lady we work with so closely, who was just a terrific person, just really worked so hard for us, was Trish Weinstock. So tell her I said, hey, if you would. Absolutely. We love, we love Trish. She was great. We, we stole a few people off of you, though. So she's, at, she's, at, uh, she's at Polynesian. She's at Polynesian now, Trish. Oh, is. Yeah. I talked to her not too long ago. Yeah, she was a great person. She helped us so much. But Disney was a great adventure for all of us. It really was. It was a fun time. It was a long time, but it was fun. Yes. <laughs> Speaking yes. of which, speaking of which, um, tell us about when when you were taping at Walt Disney, um, and we we've already formed the NWO, and the or well we formed the Wolf Pack, if you will, uh, the Outsiders, and the one dart, the infamous one dart of Rey Mysterio happens um, because. <laughs> Several several Orlando police were called to the area by the by the outside, uh, and you know when the story gets told. I, uh, having worked for Disney, it's very hard to imagine for for fans at home. Disney is a big place, and MGM Studios is a big place. The people who probably were the ones calling the police were people in and around the area that were at Disney. There is no homes behind MGM Studios that you can just see Kevin Nash throwing Rey Mysterio into a wall. So, so Neil, tell us, uh, tell us the whole story from your perspective, because I'm dying to hear it. Because I was in, I was in the crowd that night. I remember how crazy it was. Really? But, uh, but I'm dying to know from a from a production standpoint. Rob, you got know, one of my favorites. Do you want me to go through the whole thing or just a quick version? Hey. The show is yours, Neil. Take okay. it away. So the way we had it set up was there were a ring of trailers back in the back by uh, on the opposite side of where the announcers were. 
So obviously you always want to have the cam where the camera side was, you always want to have the people sitting across from the camera to make it look bigger. Well, behind there was a ring of trailers that was back there. And that was part of one of the trailers that Kevin Nash threw Ray Mysterio into the side of the trailer because he jumped on the top uh, part of the handhold thing there, the uh, handrest, and jumped onto Kevin Nash, which then he threw him in like the lawn dart. Anyway, it's one of my favorites because I, I think, Rob, my opinion is somebody from the outside that was local Disney people that were watching it live, I think they believed it was real. Mm -hmm. And that's who called because I don't think anybody else could see it at all, period. Because it's so locked off back there. I mean, especially this day, we never let anybody back there didn't have a badge on or we didn't know anyway. And we all knew each other very well. So highly unlikely that anybody even saw hardly any of this other than when it was transmitted. So whether it's on a big screen TV at the event or at home, that's the only way they could have saw it really. So it was all um, set up a lot like Hill Street Blues, the way they do videos where in their hallway or where in the operating room or whatever, we had a segment. We, we bust, busted down the different scenarios into segments. So Kevin Sullivan and I know uh, Keith Mitchell and Craig Leathers and myself, we walked around and wanted to find out who was going to be involved and what the scenario was going to be. So then we set up like, I think it was four or five different sections of where these events took place. So one thing would trigger another. So as we saw the lawn dart incident, and then we'd come over to another section, and then as soon as they saw us coming, like someone would, knew to, would know to walk like a film and to be a traveler to follow, and then that scenario would start. And then as soon as that scenario was kind of over, then we'd go to the next one. So then the people would know that that's when their stuff was triggered to do that act right there. So that's kind of how that all went down. And all the way to the final deal where um, where Macho Man jumped on top of the limousine and was trying to get at NWO. And that was probably one of the scariest parts because he was hanging on for dear life for real. Luckily, they were obviously holding Macho Man on the roof, but boy, that was scary. But we walked through that very slowly on what they all wanted to accomplish out of it. And then sec section by section, we went through it and put everybody in place. So every, absolutely everybody that was involved was there after we walked through it the first time. So the second time we brought the whole uh, contingent in of people that we worked with that were in the, in the videos themselves and walked through how this is all gonna go down. And one thing that we told them that they really needed to know was in wrestling, people are gonna look at the wrestlers and go, ah, it's, it's fake anyway. But I said, the way we're gonna sell this whole thing is not for the wrestlers to make it look like it's real, but we as production people got to, we got to be acting the whole time to act like this is legit, this is real. And I think the camaraderie and the brotherhood that we had towards making wrestling in general really brought that to a forefront to show that we are united and we are people who really want to entertain. So the acting involved with the people that were production people is just, I thought, flawless. I mean, it looked real as real gets. And that's that's where where it all came together. Really, it was a, it was awesome. It was one of my favorite sections actually to produce the whole time I was there.
Rob, that was a great question. And I actually have a couple of questions to piggyback off of that. Um, you guys, it was a phenomenal job. Even the wrestlers themselves did a phenomenal job. A woman, Miss Elizabeth, with the, the facial expressions and concerns yeah. on their faces. Terrific. And then there's Lex Luger that I want to ask about this particular part. Uh, he's down checking on Scotty Riggs and he screams, he's not breathing. Um, did you guide them into anything to say or anything like that? Because when he said that, no, like none of the paramedics like kind of reacted to him. And uh, it's been so long ago, I don't, I don't remember that being part of the plan, but I don't know. I, All right. It's been so long ago, I, I don't know the exact details anymore. Uh, okay. I wish I could, could have probably written them down at some point, but uh, I don't, I haven't seen it in so long, but don't remember it. But I do remember it being one of the segments we got the most reaction out of. That, yeah, that, I mean, that and flipping the car over with the Steiner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. I actually, um, you, you did a commercial with the Steiners that I want to, I want to, I want to touch in a little bit, but you know, sticking with the NWO, you had, uh, it was yourself and Tim Scott, Tim Smith, uh, couldn't really. He, he was the editor for us, I believe. Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about Smitty, the cameraman? Uh, no, it, it's actually you, wh whichever name it was, uh, it was you two that were going through for the original NWO theme. I'd heard oh, you yeah. on an, in an interview talk about there was originally three themes picked out. Do you remember what the other two were? No, we just, that's how we'd kind of usually do it. We would give three ideas that we had as far as music goes and play them and I think we probably had five that we had an idea for just in case one just totally was junk, but okay. FCD 115 track 14, which ended up being the NWO music was uh, presented. Yes. By Tim. And uh, is his last name? Scott. I can't remember. Unfortunately, um, Scott or Smith, but anyway, he was a really great editor that we work with down there. And um, when that music was picked out, Eric, Eric said, yeah, that's the one. You know, right. what I find, you know what I find interesting about that, Lee and, and Neil, is, is WWE, as everybody knows, always had Jim Johnson as just the guy. He was the music. So if you had a character, if you had the NWO, you had whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. Jim was tasked with the, the uh, unal unalienable task of, of creating the music for these, all these characters that we see, awesome. Undertaker and all that. And, and you guys as producers actually were the ones that put up different music tracks not necessarily musically inclined but um you know you 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 guys as producers put this up and and kind of came up with what was to be one of the most iconic uh theme songs instead of having a a, a dedicated guy that just would say hey here's the theme music that i think it should be yeah, in that case it was i would rob though have liked to had done it like you guys did it because that, that makes the most sense i mean the money that we spent on all the different music cue sheets and the libraries that we had they're just they're so generic and when they're generic they just don't really hit the right 
um, spot, I don't think. I mean, some music I really love was Harlem Hates music. Um, I thought that was terrific. The NWO, I think, worked. Um, some of the Sting music and uh, Flair's obviously was iconic for him, but I think we could have really benefited from having someone dedicated just to doing that. But there's a guy named Jim Rich, who's one of the unsung heroes that it was a Turner. And he found a lot of our music for us. He was uh, the music librarian there. But I think to pinpoint it, to be able to actually write lyrics and music specifically for that person. I mean, the guy at WWE, I thought he was awesome as far as pumping the music out and just making it really fit. I, I think we could have benefited from something like that. I can tell you about the funniest song that I've ever heard for an entrance music. Go for it. So do you remember when um, uh, the Shockmaster went to the wall, of course, on live television? <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Fred. Not very gracefully. What a nice guy he is, too. And I'm so proud of how he's come out the other end of that. But uh, I saw him in Orlando a couple years ago and got to hold the helmet and everything. <laughs> but anyway, his music when he was Uncle Fred, I think Craig Leathers picked this one out. It was some kid trying to play electric guitar for the very first time. It was smoke on the water. <laughs> he was trying to play. And like he would like play and start over again. And then if you ever go back and listen to it, man, it's just so funny. The, uh, the kid acts like he's trying to play guitar. That was, I think, that's the most brilliant entrance music we have. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny, man. I mean, the, many was... the many blunders of WCW. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I, I picked up on was you, you, had, you had brought up Sting. Now, I know, and I have heard you say this, that originally you didn't think that the newer version of sting when he went from the the bleach blonde hair to what looked like a crow you didn't think it would work what was the reason hey, don't listen to me <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't listen to me when it comes to that uh i just thought it was too much of a ripoff I, because a lot of times one thing that i thought was just out of control was legally you got to go through certain steps to do certain things and i don't know if you remember one of the pay-per-view events, I, I know we had to cut it out, but the um, Nasty Boys came out with Beavis and Butthead. They're masked. <laughs> how do you think that was ever allowed? And anyway, how, how could you ever think that? And then, you know, Rick, like Rick Rude coming out with a mask on and then within 30 seconds pulling it off. I mean, you know, stuff like that was, unfortunately, happened more often than it should have. But uh, I don't know. It just there, there's things there's things that go down. You go, you shake your head like, what the heck happened there? Oh, it wasn't wow. all right. It wasn't well, planned out. Speaking speaking of scratching your head and 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 wondering, um, it it, it it's a question that that I've been dying to ask because obviously Neil, you 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 were with the company. Correct me if I'm wrong. To 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 the day it sank. Mm -hmm. Am I right or am I wrong? You're right. Yeah. So okay. So then you were there with the with the infamous, and many people have talked about, including Uncle Eric, the infamous Ultimate Warrior promo when he decided to join WCW and went on Nitro. Mm -hmm. um, as a producer, what 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 was going on? Take us from a production standpoint, because Eric always tells us he was in the ring, so he really wasn't able to produce much as a, at that time he was a talent so he wasn't able to do much as a producer 
what 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 was going on in the back when when uh ultimate warrior decided to go on his his tirade there which went far long than it should have rob i always appreciate these questions so i can it's just like the the dungeon of doom so i can say i was never involved with any <laughs> okay all right fair enough thank you thank you for asking that i appreciate you taking me off the hook in case anybody thought i would even be involved with something like that thanks a lot there you but, go that's what i'm here for one time uh we did do a promo with the ultimate warrior when he first came in but it was taped and i believe it was after one of the super brawls because the reason why i remember it is because you get you guys are much better at these timeline things than i am but i remember we had to have sting and rick rude fight at this um kind of vip party after and we had it all set up and of course all of our people were there and nobody else and they got in this crazy fight and rick rude popped sting good i mean for real he hit him hard and he hit him on purpose and then we got done with it and sting goes what the hell rude you know i mean you know, you hit me for real, dude. You know, he was all pissed off. And uh, uh, Root says, well, that, I think that's the only way to get you to fight like I want you to do. And they're like, okay, whatever. But Sting was pissed. But now, Van Vader told me that every time he wrestled Sting, he'd do that. He'd beat Sting up on purpose. But uh, we did, a, to, to make a long story uh, longer, the, <laughs> the uh, Multiple Warrior thing, I had not really experienced or had been a fan of the ultimate warrior at all and we did this taping of him doing this interview and i'm like what is this stuff <laughs> this is some of the worst stuff i've ever heard in my life i i, I don't know i'm sorry I just, I just never got i i never got into it I, it never made any sense to me whatsoever it was a different like a like he's on a different planet or something and <laughs> <laughs> well see i grew up in old school wrestling where jody hamilton the flaming assassin my mentor he said you have to have somewhat of an element of sincerity in every interview you do, or just don't do it. And I was like, this is just such BS. I'm, I'm looking like, was that a good take? You know, I'm like, what sense does any of this make? I don't know. I was just kind of frustrated with that whole thing. Because uh, I because I just knew he was a type person you couldn't give any, you couldn't give any guidance to. I mean, uh, for instance, I was even with Gene Okerlund and Hogan down in front of Hogan's house. and. They had just like torn down three chalets in France and chipped over the roof and done all kind of work to it. And it was really cool and everything. And Hogan was always great with me. I mean, he always, I don't know, we just always got along fine, I guess, because he really knew the techniques that it took to make a good video and make a film. So I remember one of the interviews that he did and we were like sitting on the bricks out there in his driveway. And uh, somebody asked her, I'm like, well, how was the interview? I was like, Oh, it was really good, really good. I'm like, and he goes, Neil, what do you think? I'm like, nah. I mean, I said, you're supposed to hit this. You're supposed to talk about that. You're supposed to talk about that. He didn't do any of that. He didn't say this. He's okay. Let's do it again. So, you know, Hogan was even willing to do stuff again, but I could tell the warrior wasn't in that frame of mind. I could tell he was his own guy, and that, that was going to be it. And I was just never a fan. I never got it. <laughs> so I apologize to anybody who is a big Ultimate Warrior fan out there. Well, it's a known fact that he had he had issues with promos, so that's fine. Yeah. Going, back thing, going back to the Sting thing, um, I just yeah, I just thought it was too close to the crow, and I thought we were going to get possibly sued because it was too close. You know, the makeup was you know, they were both hot at the time, and 
I just thought it was a little bit close, but I'm, I'm glad it's successful because Sting's one of the nicest people you'd ever meet. Very professional person. He's just a cool guy, man. I really like Steve Sting. Yeah, that was just, uh, I mean, he at one point he was even coming out with like a, a turkey vulture. I remember seeing him in the rafters yeah. and stuff like that. And obviously the crow had a crow, but. Um, oh, Rob will appreciate this one. Um, the I Need a Hero video that aired several times. It was only supposed to air once. <laughs> I ended up editing it. I forget how much money it cost just to play that song. Anyway, so Rob, do you know where they paint all the sets and everything at Disney MGM where they splatter paint all over the floor and everything where they just paint everything anyway oh yeah paint, paint room there so what we did was we went over there with the camera and we filmed we videoed the floor and all these paint splatters and they were really cool designs and you just can't buy stuff like that you can't make it up graphically so easily so that actually was then turned black and white and then put over top of that video so those were paint splatters from disney that was on that video anyway Oh wow. oh wow okay Craig there wow all right that was a fun video now the whole thing with warrior was 98 sting transfer you know becoming the crow like sting was 96 ish maybe around 97 i think it was more 96. um while you were forming the nwo everything was you know being handled uh down at disney i believe with all of that mm -hmm. i know the story of how you end up with the nwo voice uh rob i don't know if you know that i don't know if the listeners know it uh neil i'll let you tell it and then i i have some questions when it when it comes to it though the following segment has not been sanctioned by the new world order. Just want to tell you that. Anyway, <laughs> so we were in a parking lot down at Disney MGM and I think it was Craig Leathers and Kevin Sullivan. I don't know, I don't know if anybody else is with us or not, but anyway, we got to talk and I'm like, we can't have anybody that's of us unless it's announced that we're gonna turn heel and somehow get through some big involvement to where they join the NWO. I said, I think we have to have a voice that's just really never been heard of before. I said, I, I think, you know, I, I got a guy that I think would be good for it. Because what does it sound like? That's what Craig said. I said, well, it's really breathy. It's this guy who's unfortunately since passed away, but he was on 99X in Atlanta. And his voice sounded like 99X, like that, really breathy. And he goes, why don't you do it? I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> That's why I got to the voice the NWO from then on. And I got to do it in front of the microphone that possibly Robin Williams or some famous people did voiceovers in the Disney booth. And I could actually really just whisper and barely say anything. And it would pick me up and be so clean as far as audio goes that microphone costs thousands of dollars and the audio booth is just priceless. I mean, you couldn't hear any echo whatsoever. So I was able to just kind of new world order. You really kind of go way low like that. And that's what you hear oftentimes in, until you're at the NWO sold out. And I had to do those on my own. Oh, wow. And I did the commercials, of course, um, outside of the booth. The, the only thing that was recorded in the Disney booth was the, the following announcement and some of the new world orders, but most everything else we did elsewhere 
and for the commercials and stuff like that we did it at turner oh but wow it was good because i could always have my voiceover talent ready and available yeah now the first question i have regarding to you having done the voice and i heard you say this on a podcast you said you were never paid for it correct no i was not there's got to be a royalty check due to you. Uh, I, think I think Vince owes me about a hundred thousand, don't you? Well, at, 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 at least, uh, and and I think you could probably back sue Turner and AOL for uh, a little bit of money. Maybe Uncle Eric should ship in some some WCW <laughs> Turner shares. You're right. I think Eric should give me some money. <laughs> I um. Any rhyme or reason to why nothing? I don't think there was uh, uh hold on a second. I'm, I'm sorry, you got this. I gotta stop this. Second. Okay, sorry. Somebody's trying to get a hold of funny and funny's trying to get a hold of somebody else. Anyway, so as far as that goes, I really could couldn't really double dip because I was already getting paid as an employee. And here's the problem. Anything you sign, it's not it's not like Tyler Perry thick, like when you work for him but we do sign papers when we go with Turner and anytime our voice is captured or our, um, our person is seen on camera, that's part of the contract. That's the okay. best thing. Okay. Wow. I mean, when I, when I first heard it, I was, I was, I was shocked. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. It's a, it could have made me rich by now, probably. Oh, at least he's. <laughs> I really liked. I really liked uh, really what I did, though, and I just it was such fun times to actually make something that people are entertained by and be able to, I guess, suspend reality for people and help wrestlers get better. And the production people I work with, they're some of the best in the world, man. They were just terrific. They really were. My my stand fell down. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. Now I'm actually glad that you brought up. Uh, you know, working with other wrestlers and stuff like that. Um, it's my understanding that you would also sometimes pitch stuff to wrestlers, like things that they should say in the ring or like any sort of like little moniker kind of catchphrase. Uh, do, do you remember any specific wrestlers that you helped out in that aspect? Vader. Yeah. So the Vader V was, was uh, something I had actually had that for Van Hammer, but uh, he just, I don't know, he just, uh, he wanted to, he wanted to fly solo and really wouldn't listen to anybody else. I mean, smart guy, but I don't know why I just never really wanted to hear of anybody else. And I told Leon backstage, he said, look, I got something for you. I think it really worked. Uh, we we're doing interviews at, in Gainesville. Uh, we did quite a few tv tapings there we were on this other state way over uh, quite far from where the wrestling actually took place and it was a spock thing you know i just said just do like that you know with the gloves you got on and do the double v's and i said i think people they'll all do it in stands i think they'll all go for it so they did and that was that was one that i can claim for sure uh, then you see you know people's different styles and stuff i, I remember asking flair how he did it but he, he just said he just does it. He couldn't really say it. But I remember doing the video in Alcatraz with 
Piper and Piper wrote everything down. He had legal pads and pages and pages of writing. That's how he did it. They oh, all wow. they all had a different approach for sure. Now I, I've heard you speak about <clears throat> Piper being at Alcatraz and uh, the story. And, and this makes me want to ask this question. What do you consider the best segment you ever produced? But what do you think is also the worst segment you ever had to produce? Hmm. If there is such a thing as a worse one. Well, I think the best segment that ever came in to popularity was probably the attack in the back that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. That all really came together. Uh, one of the worst things I ever produced. Darn. You know what? One thing I didn't do real good on was an Arn Anderson video one time. We were kind of rushed. It just didn't come together. It was Arn where he was going to like take a four by four truck or Jeep or something and just drive it around up in Marietta somewhere where they're doing a lot of construction work. And I, and I felt like I, I know Arn liked it, but you know Arn's such a great guy. I don't know if he said it just because we were we were working partners or whatever. But I that was probably one of the worst ones I've ever done. I, I felt bad for for it because it just didn't come to fruition like I wanted it to. It just he just didn't work like I wanted it. That was probably the worst. Not and it, it was hard to think about that actually because you know you always remember your victories, but you try to forget your your faults. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm I'm not going to try and put any correlation between the two, but since I that that question came about, what were your thoughts working in WCW during the Vince Russo era? Hmm. That's that's one of those things where you almost kind of just want to forget it all. I <laughs> I never got it. I never understood why he even got hired or what that was all about. And, you know, I, I probably said this on a podcast before. I think that he was getting paid by Vince the whole time. Um, I just don't think you can come up with that bad of stuff on purpose. I really don't. <laughs> well, well, do I mean, well, what, what's your answer on that? Well, Neil, you were, you actually, you actually were, were, you received a phone call from, from our friend, Sonny Ono, not too long ago when Sonny was visiting me in, in Clearwater beach, Florida. And when we were in Clearwater together, hanging out, we met up. I'm in Orlando right now. I live in Orlando, but but uh, we were in Clearwater, and we met up with a with a gentleman who worked for WCW. He was the standards and practices of WCW, Mr. Galen, Um, and he he told he told me some stories, and I think he even shed some light on some stories to Sonny that uh, (laughs) neither one of us new but when you hear them i can only imagine if you as a producer had to produce them um thank thank goodness that standards and practices nixed it before you had to worry about producing it um well uh one of them included uh blowing up a school bus with all of the mexican wrestlers inside of it um another one entailed and this was and this was uh just after we had the the shooting in connecticut um you know in the school shooting um so that obviously got mixed uh by standards and practices the other one that really 
uh, took me by surprise was there was a, a gentleman, an African-American gentleman in Memphis who got dragged behind a car um, and was obviously murdered. Um, and Vince wanted to um, tie some chains to Stevie Ray and drag him behind a car uh, wow. for, a, for a segment on Nitro. Uh, that obviously got nixed as well. Um, and in the, in the coming weeks, Mr. Uh, Galen will join us on a podcast and, and tell us all those fun stories. But those were just a couple of the ones that I was like, well, how the heck, if you didn't nix it, how the heck were they going to produce this kind of thing? Because, woo! Wow. You know, I mean, I want I want to hear that because you you would have got yourself in a little bit of a uh, little bit of heat, as they say in the business. Some things, but uh, yeah, I just like I didn't want to be involved with um, the match that was in the graveyard with somebody. I I just didn't I, I don't know. I just thought that was disrespectful. I didn't want to do it. I, I said I, I just can't do that one. Um, I, I don't even think they asked me, but I w- I would have refused to do it. I mean. Well- one of the production ones I want to ask you about, maybe you were involved in it. Maybe this is another one of those, like the ultimate warrior, but I was in the other side. I was in the other company when your boss decided to challenge my boss to a fight. And Eric wanted Vince to show up on pay-per-view and he wanted to fight him Mm -hmm. Um, as a producer. What, what what was the mindset like when because clearly something like this doesn't happen in the real world i mean ted turner doesn't call up bob Iger <laughs> and challenge him to a fight live on tnt mm-hmm. uh, you know donald trump doesn't call up uh you know rupert murdoch and challenge him to a fight live on tv so i'm curious what were you a part of that that infamous segment obviously it was a black and white nwo segment um and you were a heavy part of the nwo so what you know were you a part of that what were your thoughts and and after it was all done because clearly he didn't tell anybody um what the heck went through everybody's mind i know eric wanted to bury vince legitimately i mean uh not literally of course but in business because he was that competitive and I mean, that's what you got to have, I guess. I knew he never could um, because I know just from talking to people that worked at WWE, the machine that is up there is just pretty unstoppable. Um, and I think one thing we never did enough was we never planned enough. You have to have a plan to make it all work. And I think the flying by the seat of the pants bit, you know, and the, the excitement and chaotic situation, I know Eric thrived on it, but I just don't think it's a good idea ever on television. I really don't. It's there's too many things that can go wrong. And there's so much great things that you can plan ahead of time. And it, I think if they would have had a open like suggestion box or something like that, where people that are production people or even working in the tape division where they would uh, record the shows to go across from Europe or whatever, I think they should have a suggestion box and, and actually read some of those ideas. Because I think everybody's got at least one or two good ideas. I remember every set that I was on, I would they made I made sure that they knew that I was open for suggestions and that they could, you know, all speak. And if they had an idea, bring it forward. You know, uh, I've got I think I got enough good ones on my own that I can be assured that I I don't have a problem with giving one away, saying that yeah that that person did a great job on this. Like for instance, the opening shot I think that we had where. Flair was having Eric be the limo driver. The one thing we talked about earlier, where 
Um, Flair came in the Learjet and then he brought his lawyers with him and we we're going to go to the show in Tampa. The very first shot, I think, was uh, made up by the great cameraman known as Snake, who is Tim Snyder, who did a lot of our Steadicam work. He said, hey, how about I get in a trunk with a camera? And when Eric goes to put the luggage in that I'm already in the trunk and you see that angle, I said, perfect. You know, those kind of shots you just don't think of because you're too worried about other things. And I, I just think, um, you know, having, having an idea from all, all corners is always great. I really do. Well, one, yeah. other, one other question I got uh, stems from, again, <laughs> back when it was us versus you. Were you were you in the building in Virginia the night that we drove the tanks down there and wanted you guys to open up the uh, the tunnel? I was. It wasn't in Virginia, was it? I, I think it was. We were, I think it was yeah. in No, no, we were in Virginia. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't. I wasn't there then because I, I think I was there when they did something in Nashville, I believe. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, that I was kinda, when that was when DX drove the tanks down and we knocked on there and we asked for Kevin Nash and Scott Hall to come out and X-Pac, I think, was there at the yeah, time. I, I remember seeing it. Oh, no, he was with us. X-Pac was with yeah, us. I wasn't there. But we're, we're um, but talking about the uh, Eric thing a minute ago. I think that, you know, he did want to bury Vince, but one of the best segments ever that was NWO was not produced by me, by the way. It was produced by Kepper Rogers, who did the rolling, when, when Eric was talking about, uh, he was like sitting on a motorcycle or something, he was talking about kicking somebody upside the head right there. I mean, that was really masterfully done. He did a great job. So I, I just wanted to get that in. I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt no, the floor. That's what you're I, good. I, I wanted to get that in there. Awesome. But, uh, he wanted to, I don't know. The good question is who would win between Vince and Eric? That'd be a good question, man. Because Vince, he was muscled up, dude. But, you know, Eric had that kickboxing. So that might be a good fight for real. <laughs> what do you think, Lee? I mean, I'll say it like this. Anytime the NWO around, sorry, Rob, I turned the channel. Uh, this will make you both laugh. Anytime Disco Inferno is on, I turn the channel. Mm. To WCW, that is. To watch yes. Disco Inferno. I, like I was a game. huge Disco fan. He's a good guy. I, I like this gimmick. I thought it was great. That was another um, great I, video Pepper Rogers produced. Disco fever. That, disco that was fever. That, yeah, that was at that place, Rob, that's uh, Treasure Island, I think it's called. Yeah. Where, where all the clubs are at, right? And Disney, yep. that's where they put that, yeah. Pleasure Island. Yep. That was a fantastic video. That's a fun place. We had a it, it is now downtown Disney Springs. It is now downtown Disney Springs for the for the fans watching at home. Oh, okay. The, no. Yeah, the, the youngins may not remember what Pleasure Island is, but yes, you and I do. <laughs> wow, that was a blast, dude. That was a blast. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I apologize if I uh, go on, on some rabbit trails with uh, what I talk about. Sometimes I get uh, all excited about uh, things that I want to talk about. <laughs> this is, oh, this no. is history for the two of us, Neil, because the two of us, you know, I don't want to give our age away. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly old myself, but, uh, you know, this is this is like a high school reunion and i think lots of times and sunny says it all the time when we do these autograph sessions and things like that that we get to see all the boys it's more of a a, 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 a gathering of and, and a telling of old stories again of, mm -hmm. of you were on that side we were on this side and yeah. how much fun you had over there and how much fun we had over here and oh yeah you know, and and it's and these are the things that the fans can't get anyplace else so that's why it's great to be on perched on the top rope 
Yeah, one, one thing as far as what I always wanted to do was like I think any business would do is try to get information off the people that work where you worked. I mean, to me, I would love to sit down with somebody and them tell us how Vince does everything. Wouldn't that have been a great education? I mean, they do the same product. How do you do it? What, what, how can we hone our information? Because a lot of the stuff, the templates and things like that, we made up on our own. You know, we, we brought the, uh, um, the computer into WCW Saturday night when I produced that, where we could tell if you need to change different cameras because of them. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success best shot or something but i mean i would have loved to known how you did the interviews who was involved with it who wrote it um how you produced it i mean every everything i could i could know about the production of how you did it rob i'd love to hear i but, mean a lot of the things that we did it was a two-man it was a two or three-man operation probably a lot like yourself um mm -hmm. you had someone like myself and i'll just take the crime time stuff because that's what uh, everybody is synonymous with me for um yeah. you know we came up with a segment uh, whether it was robbing the the 7-Eleven on our first uh, you know our first uh, uh, vignette that we did, um, we had we had a producer, we had a cameraman, and we had and we had myself, and then we had the talent. And I had the idea. We pitched it to the talent. The producer made sure everything worked, and the cameraman made sure we got the shots that we needed. And much like you were talking about, um, you know the the infamous shot of uh, Shad spray or jtg rather spray painting the uh the security camera as he wrapped into it and pulled his mask down and and basically that's what made the whole thing funny was if you're mm -hmm. robbing the place you don't want to pull your mask down because now we see your face and etc cetera, etc cetera. but that there was a cameraman that was actually shooting mm -hmm. that he he was that was the the security camera if you will that he was he was you know making his statements into so yeah you know a, a lot of it was the same i think it was just um you know, we had we had only one guy um, back then that that ruled the roost, and that was Vince. And mm -hmm. everything everything went through him, and there was no 
too many, there was never too many uh, cooks in the kitchen, if you will, mm. where I think that you guys and in talking to friends of mine, like Kevin Nash and guys like that, I think there were too many cooks in the kitchen, mm -hmm. especially as, as things started to take that turn when you got to like 90, late 97, 98, 99, mm -hmm. obviously. And then, you know, we don't got to go That's through history. That's good information when you got the, the end all be all, you know, Vince goes yay or nay. And it's cool that you guys were able to actually pitch things to the wrestlers. Um, the wrestlers would usually come up with a lot of their own stuff, and then we just end up doing it. Like like Dallas Page was a master thinking of stuff to do, and uh, did a lot of did a lot of segments with him. No, that's well, cool. that's talent always has ideas. Wrestlers always have millions of ideas. It, it's and and thankfully, maybe not now, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe not now. Watching Raw and all the things that we watch, but back in the day. Vince had a, a, a very keen mind and could narrow things down, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot, a lot stronger than, than, you know, what, than what we're seeing today. I he's always a, like to preface he's, that. He's a genius at it. No doubt about it. It's been a fun business to be involved with. And talking to you guys is fun because I get to relive some of the positive things that I got to do. And, you know, you, you get joy out of um, having seen it and recalling it and reliving it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and one moment I want to I want to relive uh, when it comes to the NWO was I have an understanding that when it was sold out the very first pay per view ninety seven, uh, you know they they all rode in on garbage trucks and I always found it funny that they're riding in on garbage trucks and Eric Bischoff is going. I told you we would change the world, and I'm like, you're riding on the back of a garbage truck. What do you mean you're changing the world? <laughs> Yeah. you know um i haven't it wasn't the right change right yeah <laughs> i have an understanding that from from the producer's perspective that they didn't really you guys didn't have a lot of say in some of the stuff when it came to sold out but you 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 were doing the editing and stuff for it um and, and i'll, I'll my next question will come about the uh non-nwo people walking into the ring uh, but first, was there anything that you would have changed differently that they didn't come to talk to you first about? How long is this podcast? <laughs> we got time. Goodness sakes. Um, I thought it was just horrible. Um, they didn't talk to us about anything. We, The only thing we did was Kepper Rogers and I and a lot of the great production people, we did the open and figured that out. And it wasn't really shot exactly once we came live like we'd wanted it to, but I thought the Citizen Kane ripoff of Eric and all that was good. And some of the, all the NWO with the confetti flying in front of their face. And I thought that worked out really well. Um, but as far as the way the whole thing was laid out, you know, we, we added the referee cam and the cameras on a pole. I thought that was a unique perspective. Um, added the, smart aleck comments coming down the aisle which was a lot of fun but that's about it and everything else is like i don't know who came up with this but we're like we're, we're i mean i just remember looking at each other like man this this is bad stuff it's not good at all really horrible it should have been so much better man yeah yeah um, and that's why i asked because I, I i had heard that you guys you didn't have really much to do with the pay-per-view itself but i do remember hearing that um you had pitched the idea uh, to to throw the 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 
ribs and the shots at the wrestlers as they came down the entrance, mm-hmm. uh, like Chris Jericho and, and the Einsteiners mm-hmm. and uh, some of the Can other ones. Yeah. Um, did 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 any of those guys know that you would be doing that? And were any of them mad? No, not new, but I know Scott was mad because uh, I, I just could see on his face because I know Scott good enough. I mean, I'm from Ohio and I just saw the Steiner brothers the other night again. And, uh, they're obviously both from Michigan. So we had that rivalry, but then friendship at the same time. And I could tell Scott was legitimately pissed. He's walking in the aisle to here. The two Michigan dog face mutts, the Steiner brothers. I remember that pissed him off because he looked around like, you're watching, you're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> oh, that was fun, man. Oh, I like I like doing those videos. That was great. Okay, yeah, because I was I was always curious if they knew that they that they were gonna get made fun of or not. No, they didn't know. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah, that was a... That was just always something that that piqued my interest. And another thing that you had brought up uh, when we we were talking about producers and the writers working together, did anything that Disco Inferno pitched come across your table? No, but I like Disco. I thought that was great. It's like, to me, he was similar to the Honky Tonk Man, Mm -hmm. but different era. I mean, the backstory of the Honky Tonk Man is just genius. Was born in a pool hall was born on a pool table in Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, that just tells you right there where he's from originally. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> I heard him do that on the promo. Wayne Ferris, man, I thought I thought the Honky Tonk Man was just a really funny, funny uh, idea. And, and Kemper did another good video for them, for him, uh, for Honky Tonk Man. We came in with that big Cadillac and all that. And I think Jimmy Hart rounded up somewhere. But uh, I don't know. No, we're, what were you talking about? I forget, sorry. Oh, so I <clears throat> Disco, Disco's lack of ideas. Yeah, uh, I don't know if Disco ever produced anything or not as far as bringing him forward, but I would have done it in a minute because I thought Disco was a talent, man. I liked him. He, he was a good guy, and I thought he could work, and he could sell good, you know? And, I mean, hey, that's why I always turn the channel to watch him. I liked him. Me too. I liked him too. I wish we could have done more with him, really. Glenn is still a good friend of mine. So when Glenn sees this podcast, Glenn, I still love you. And yes, the Rangers still suck. <laughs> We're diehard New York Ranger fans. And that, and that also and, and, and that also brings me to my funny point about when when you speaking about the NWO sold out pay-per-view, when you mentioned Chris Jericho is the only reason anybody knows him is because of his dad. Who was Teddy Irvine, the great New York Ranger, which I still talk to Chris about to this day. Yeah, I actually so. saw Chris Fawzi last night for the first time. So that was cool. I saw Fawzi last night live. They were good. Oh, very cool. Oh, awesome. They, they, they tore it up, man. They're really good. Um, the Duke, who is their guitar player, one of their guitar players, that guy is such a super nice guy. He's from our area here, and uh, he's a he's a terrific dude. I see him with another band called Guardians of the Jukebox. It's really, really terrific. It was good to see him. I, I didn't get to talk to Chris or see him. I don't even know if he'd remember who I was, honestly. Maybe I'm glad you brought I'm glad Jericho is brought up because there's something really cool that AEW has been doing that I've noticed on pay-per-views that I noticed on all out. Um, And you were talking about all like camera angles and everything on the turnbuckle posts themselves. They actually have a camera now in AEW on them, which is, uh, which is really cool. And, um, did did you ever 
kind of pitch any ideas when it came to different stuff like that, maybe to something outside the box that was unorthodox? No, nothing like that. Um, I just always liked the, the sound that we did. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I, I thought our, our A1s in a truck, uh, Rick Wallace and Mother, and there's uh, Joe, Joe uh, Sparacino. And I know um, Keith Mitchell's son, Matt, is doing a lot of AEW audio now, and I'm sure he learned a lot of tricks off of them. I just mm-hmm. thought our audio was terrific. I really did. I, but I did think it was funny to pump in the Goldberg sound. Goldberg. I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always, I was really, audio is where it's at. I used to direct uh, Deep South Wrestling with Kofi Kingston and the great Kali and the Miz and Jack Swagger and uh, Major's Brothers. I don't know all their names. Luke Gallows. We used to direct that show with Jody uh, for WWE when I was with them. And audio is where it's all about. I always had a nice audio bed underneath, you know, just a, a crowd sound. And then I'd enhance some of the shots, but uh, yeah, that really makes a difference. But I, I think any, anytime you can integrate like lipstick cameras or small cameras in a turnbuckles or show something maybe up high looking down, I think that's a great perspective. I really do. I, I like the uh, thing that we had uh, the camera on the fish pole when we were at NWO. I, I didn't uh, ever introduce anything like that, but I always liked it. That was a good question. Mike. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I've, I've always found different camera angles to be fascinating and especially like that one that AW had, has been utilizing. And um, it's just always something that, that piqued my interest, just, you know, different angles that you can see, you know, cause you see on like the, the prime example, the wrestling video games, there's a hundred different angles, but you can't, you don't, you know, some angles you'd love to see in, in like on WCW Nitro or Raw or SmackDown or AEW or Impact and stuff like that. Um, that kind of brings me to the the next question that I have, and you you brought up audio in in just a second ago. I th- had always heard stories WCW. There was a lot. It was kind of a lackluster and this and that. And you had done a podcast where when you came in right away, you kind of ran into that issue, uh, specifically with tapings. Mm-hmm. Everything was on, just kept going and going. So um, between the different shows like Saturday night, and I believe there's a Saturday morning pro show and, and Nitro. Wow. And st- yes, and, and Nitro and stuff like that that there would be like 12 tapes and you'd have to bring those tapes to the, the, the person editing and this and that, and they'd have, to, they'd all have 12 tape, 12 tape, 12 tape. You changed that. Mm-hmm. How did you change that? Wow. Daggone, man. You listen to all the podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Is there one that you miss, Lee? Daggone it. I can't say nope. anything. Yeah. That was a, I think probably a good thing that helped me a lot because I just thought the way they did their interviews is just inefficient. So I always try to look for efficiency when I do things. Templates, I like to use things over. I don't reinvent the wheel if I don't have to. I just try to be efficient on everything I do. And I saw the interviews right away at a big flaw where they had like 12 tapes they'd bring back. And like somebody from WCW Saturday night, like Dan Bynum would have to get who was with Ring of Honor later and uh, directed that. this great guy, he lives in Denver now, but uh, he would have to like search for tape three, six, and 10 or something. And I was like, what? 
why don't we just have a tape for every show and just have the people come in and knock them out and just, you know, give them the different uh, tapes that we need for the shows. And we did that and it worked out and they were all kind of like, oh, wow, you mean I only got one tape? I said, you only got one tape. <laughs> so they were, they were really happy about that when I first got there. So that, that was a good thing for me. I think it showed that I was thinking about their product and trying to help it. Yeah, yeah. And it was just something I found fascinating because uh, as someone who sits here after and does the time stamping and the audio editing and then the video editing, there's a lot going on. And to have to search through that many tapes, uh, I'm assuming that you made it a lot more time efficient for them, too, when things got done quicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, they were like so happy. They're like, wow, man, this makes it so much easier for me. And there's, there's a few things that I would do that I could pass along to you as far as production goes. I I would, if I were shooting like a mini movie type thing with flair or something in the limousine bit where I did it all together, I actually log my tapes backwards. So now I would go to the like media and I would lay them down on the timeline. And then I would actually go backwards and see when the scene changed mm -hmm. because last take is almost always the best take. So just, you can knock them out and do it like that and you can string the if you want to go into production for just a second you can now string all the clips together from a video that you make mm -hmm. and on one timeline and then output that and send it to everybody and then it's all on one um all on one movie well then um, premiere pro has this thing called scene detection where once mm -hmm. you get that back it'll actually see where you made your cuts so you don't have to worry about ever worrying about where the cuts are again you can actually make the computer do it so there's advancements that i wish i would have had when we were doing wcw back then but i use now today yeah and, i'm i'm and, and lee i think we just found alex todd's replacement <laughs> <laughs> just kidding alex just kidding I could, I could talk to you offline with some production ideas of making your stuff go really fast if you want to leave at some point oh my yes please I got I got a magic button that the guy he used to edit with us all the time. Mike Grable, we hired him like every day as a freelancer. It's the magic button. It's called the replace edit button. But we can talk to that. We can talk about that offline. Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely. can tell you music video just like so fast you won't believe it. Yeah, and um, I'd also heard that when it when the NWO split, you kind of were not really doing much of the nwo stuff anymore is that correct like when they became the red and black and the blue, black and the white yeah they're going so much on location mm -hmm. yeah. and i i don't know i, I thought the nwo needed to kind of not end but something happened to it and yeah to keep on multiplying it and make it red and but i don't know it just i wasn't all excited about any of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> now you, you had said like a lot of stuff a lot of stuff happened on the fly with WCW. Did Eric Bischoff have an end game for the NWO at all? Not, not that I know of. But then again, okay. I wasn't privy at that point to being in the high level meetings or anything like that. I was just, mm -hmm. I gave my, I got my marching orders from Craig Leathers or Keith Mitchell. And I really wasn't involved with any of the major decision making at all. I just did what I needed to do. For what segments i needed i don't i don't think i really would, would have wanted been involved anyway it's just uh because like i said i'm a i'm a planning type person mm -hmm. i would rather have a plan set out 
uh, ahead of time. I remember we wrote up a whole thing for Cactus Jack just before Mankind, Dude Love, whatever you want to call him, went to WWE, who I think is a fabulous talent. And it was a thing that my ex-wife and I, uh, she actually helped uh, Cactus Jack write this. And it was where he was getting conked on the head. And when he did, he would turn to a different wrestler. So there was a whole series of events where he was a different wrestler from time to time. And he would actually act like them and think like them and maybe even do some moves. But eventually the final payoff was to go against Sting at a pay-per-view where he was like, he had cut as much weight as he could and he would have the butch haircut and look like Sting. That was the ultimate uh, storyline that we proposed, but it just didn't work out. Oh, wow. And ultimately, you know, then after he leaves WCW, WWE gets the three faces of Foley. Mm-hmm. Could we have could we have possibly taken that from you? That's uh, I won't say that because wrestling, you know, nothing's brand new. <laughs> <laughs> but we so, did get you know, we did I, go I, from I, we did enough, go so. from mankind to dude love to cactus jack to uh, Mick Foley. Um, yes. Mrs. Foley's baby boy, all of that stuff. But he always was interchanging in all those. I'm just happy to be in his book, man. I think it's page 98 and 102. Have a nice day. The first uh, book. Mick Foley was terrific. I thought he was just a great talent. He's just a good guy. For, for, you just to talk to him personally, just such a nice person. And a smart guy, too, man. Wow. I've actually I've met him uh, four times, and uh, he's helped me a little bit um, with the Curtis Hughes autobiography because I'm, I'm Curtis Hughes's uh, ghostwriter. Okay. So he, he's given me a little direction on some things and some stuff that I needed Curtis help with. He's in Atlanta. Yep. He's still in Atlanta, still in Atlanta, doing good, doing good. I saw, so. a, few years back at the, I saw him a few years back at the Gary Michael Capetta show that the ring announcer Gary Capetta does. It was, it was really good if you get a chance to see it. It's Love like a Gary Michael. Love yeah. Gary Michael Capetta. Good guy. Yep. Tell him I said, hey, if you see him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, what was it like for you life after the NWO? What were some of your favorite segments in WCW to work on when uh, you had finished up doing all that stuff? Um, I never really finished doing that. Um, towards the end, I kind of always did mo- most of the stuff. If uh, Hogan was involved with it, I'd be doing that. Like, if you remember when Hogan and um, let's see, was uh, Hogan and um, Dennis Rodman and DDP and uh, when they did that deal out of Hollywood, I did that video. So I did I did segments like that, but most of the stuff that Hogan was involved with, somehow I got I got lucky and got to do a lot of those. But I, I don't remember much, you know, after we were starting to collapse, because you know, when you when you feel your company is being undermined or it's kind of going downhill, I just remember doing what I needed to do and getting through it. Um, and it was it was a tough time for everybody, I think, as far as that goes, because we just knew it was going to end, you know, soon. So I, I just remember. Just trying to do what I could do to, to help out. Did you get? Did you ever get reached out to by maybe like Jeff Jarrett when he started? Obviously TNA, um, which was the 
I guess if you want to call it the, the ultimate successor to WCW, um, you know, did you ever get reached out by, by Jeff or, or, you know, any of these other companies that wound up starting up as a result of WCW going under? Um, at one point, uh, Jimmy Hart told me he was going to get me involved with something he did, but he never, never ended up calling. But I saw Jeff Jarrett a few times, but never really had anything, um, you know, formal said to me or anything or asked. Uh, Flair asked me why I wasn't at WWE. And I said, look, dude, I said, I've kind of been through this and I don't like having a cattle prod to get people to do things because WCW, a lot of times people are just collecting a paycheck and they just wouldn't do what they should do as far as a production standpoint. And as far as them being like a product, like uh, a box of Wheaties and advertising whenever they can, they would just collect their paycheck and not do anything. And I didn't like that. And I always was one of those people where it's a privilege to do this job. You know, it's great to be in wrestling and it's great to be involved with production of it. So you should give your all. And the people, some people just didn't do that. I won't mention any names, but it just was really disheartening for me because I'm like, man, this is a privilege to do this stuff. You guys really want to do something. The Flair said, why, why am I not at WWE? And they, they never did call me, but I don't know that I would have wanted to go up there. Um, I'm not sure that my ideas aligned with what some of the stuff that Vince did, I wasn't too appreciative of. Um, some of the gangrel stuff and things like that, I just didn't really think that was cool. But that's just, you know, just me. Well, I, 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 I'm sure I speak for, for everybody who watches Monday Night Raw, uh, certainly NXT and SmackDown each and every week. We could really use you mm. up in Connecticut mm. uh, now. Uh, just say I'm just just putting it out there. Sorry <laughs> if it offends anybody, but when you're drawing a 1.1, just say it. Yeah. Hello, Vince. I say I say it each and every week at some point in this podcast. Hi, Vince. If you're watching, there's <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Because uh, yeah, just step in that. But I just appreciate y'all liking stuff we did. That's all. Oh, absolutely. I got, I got paid handsomely for it and really enjoyed it. Neil, earlier. Family. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I fed my family doing it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Neil, you said something that that struck me about the sinking ship. On the producing side and everything, were you guys ever given a notice? about wcw thunder finishing up uh were you given a notice about i believe it was saturday night that moved to like saturday morning before it was done with and then it just kind of became like a highlight show um were you guys ever given any sort of notice when wcw was going to finish with a show like that yeah they would they would give us an idea what's happening with it um i know we're all so busy that a lot of us just would it if it didn't affect me I really didn't have time to pay attention to it. So they would, they would give us a clue on some of the things that are going to happen as far as that goes. And um, I wasn't really involved with a lot of those shows. I, okay. I just got to the point where after we left CNN Center and we went to Log Cabin, which is a great facility to work out of because nobody knew we were there. It was easy and you didn't have to go downtown Atlanta. It was just terrific. And we had great edit suites there. And uh, obviously the people working in those edit suites, but um, if it didn't pertain to us, a lot of times we just, you know, we just didn't really pay attention to it much. We're, like I said, we we're just so busy doing what we did. 
Okay. We were, we, were, we were understaffed without question. I think we were way understaffed compared to the amount of shows we were producing. I mean, we produce a lot of programming and we could use several more people, I think, but it kept me working. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a kind of a follow up to that would be um, the last day of WCW, WCW <laughs> Nitro. Rob knows this. Um, Road Dog had actually just been let go. And he was actually there at WCW that uh, that night on the last Nitro to try and get a job. Did you ever see him backstage at all? Or um, what was the atmosphere? Yeah, I think I did see him. Um, I obviously knew all his relatives, having worked with him. What a great mm -hmm. family. Brian, I mean, just, uh, Brad, yeah. Just, man, Brad was a great guy. Uh, I remember when Brad passed away, he was just a, he was just a deep south seeing us not too long before he passed away. And, you know, Scott and Dad Bullet and just everybody in the family just, wow, they're just terrific people. Um, I didn't remember Road Dog much and didn't hardly talk to him, but I'm sure he's as fine as the rest of them. Oh, he yeah. Hit 100, 1 million percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, oh, absolutely. And, um, what was it like that that night the last wcw nitro mm, boy it was a tough one buddy mm. shed a tear that night for sure because uh i just knew of all the people that were backstage that made it happen they really mm -hmm. made it happen. you know i'm talking about people that you'll never hear their name and just to know that they were going to be losing their jobs too i you know i knew a lot of us were go on to different TV shows and stuff like that. But yeah, to look at all the faces of all the people you knew for so long and spend so much time with and just become great friends with and just really good people, man. And the thing about WCW was there was a million people in line to get every one of our jobs. So in other words, if you didn't get along or you didn't get on it and jump on it and work hard, you were gone because we replaced you. It was just like, sorry, if you can't hang then you got to go. And all these people are top-notch folks, man, and did the best they could every day we worked there. That was the toughest part to leave that because it's hard to find a company where everybody just kills themselves to get this thing done right. And that was the saddest part for me to not see them, those people anymore. It really was. It was tough. I remember I was at standing next to Flair at the at uh the one of the backstage televisions and Flair just like shook his head, you know, seeing that copyright that said WWF on it. I was like, man, you believe this? But Flair was glad. I know he was he was glad it was over with. I'm sure, I'm sure several of the guys were. They 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 had a good opportunity to go up there and just kill it. And crazy thing about his guys, um, there's a vault somewhere that has interviews that I did with most of the people before that last show that nobody's ever seen. That's kind of wild, isn't it? Is that is would that be in like the WWE vault somewhere? It's here in Atlanta. Who who would have that, and why wouldn't it have been a part of uh, the the purchase? Um, because we did it personally. A oh, guy, wow. producer, editor guy, came down with his own equipment, flew on his own dime, wasn't with Turner, and said, "Hey, would you do interviews with these people? If I I think we need to document this." I said, yeah, I think we need to. And it was all done on his own time and money. And 
uh, it's never been seen. So there could there could potentially be a a true non WWE politicized uh, end of WCW DVD or 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 uh, movie or TV show or something that could be put out there. Fight TV. Hi, Mike Weber. So basically, what you're saying, Neil, is somewhere out there where 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 you may have access to we could actually potentially be sitting on a a non wwe edited type video movie film high fight tv we could air it on there um that encapsulates the last day of wcw yes it's raw footage that I went around with a guy that, like I said, he did it on his own deal. He just thought it would be a good idea to document it, which is a great idea. And I think since he's done, I know he has, since he's done a few documentary films, as far as I know, he hasn't edited this, but it's there where I interviewed absolutely everybody. I mean, I got access, obviously, that nobody ever could, where, and this, this person was known to the other people. So it wasn't like a big mystery on um, who this Mark was coming in off the street. It was a person who worked with us. And the round table discussions and stuff like that, asking, what are you gonna do now? What's gonna happen with you? Have you had any talks? Um, we got some pretty good stuff, man. I mean, oh, wow. of, of, I'm not talking about Sting or Flair, but I'm pretty sure Booker T's on there. I know. Dustin Rhodes is on there for sure because I asked him a lot about you know having grown up in his um, shadow of his father because uh, Dustin and I obviously worked very close together and really enjoyed his time it was just a fantastic person and we were just at the table man just you know how they're how they play cards backstage Rob you know what I'm talking about yeah just kind of talking like that man and it was it's raw but it, for a fan I think it'd really be entertaining but We've never got a deal on it. Don't really know how to go about it. Don't want WWE to confiscate it. So it's one of those things where, you know, I'm sure it's a, a lawyer thing that needs to be worked out. Pretty cool, though. Man. Pretty never cool. Be never before seen footage of Eddie Guerrero. Fans right now would eat that up. Well, people just talking about what's next. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, Ray Mysterio. Ray Mysterio was there at the time. Yeah, uh, you know a lot of guys like that. Um, I mean, I, I don't have the rundown of the everybody I talked to, but I talked to a lot of people. Well, I'm just I mean, thinking I, of the guys that were there. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm just, glad you have the memory because I don't remember. But I, like I said, I do remember talking to Booker T and to um, Dustin Rhodes, and I think Eddie Guerrero was on it. I, boy, I, I think a lot of people were on it. They were just sitting at that table, and you know were just what, what's going to happen with you? And some of them, you know, like, I don't know. Some of them, yeah, WWE is going to be, I know Parker T said he couldn't wait because he had a great opportunity ahead of him. Obviously we knew that um, kind of that talented, you know, he and his, he and his brother, just good folks. And I knew, I knew Booker T was just going to go on to really do some big things. And he obviously has, and his wife is terrific as well. He's got a, he's got a great family in Houston. Yes. Oh, wow. Love, love court queen Charmel. Yeah. She's terrific. Yeah. She did a, Great video. I remember we did a video with her as a Nitro girl and 
there happened to be these two white dogs that were at this place where he shot this whole thing in Fort Myers. It was a guy that invented neoprene, which is like in tennis shoes. It's kind of that clear stuff, that spongy stuff. Anyway, that guy, he invented that. That's the house we shot all those Nitro Girls videos at. And Charmel, um, we had her in the front driveway. They had this really unusual looking texture on the driveway. And I remember she had two white dogs she was with. And we shot it to where in editing, we made it look like it was a reflection on a pool. But in fact, it was just a driveway. But I know she really loved that shot. And I did too. I thought it was awesome. It just came together, you know, at the right time. It was a fun video. Before I get into this next question, I had something that just totally popped into my head, Neil. Um, back in the day, WCW did something completely different that WWF, no offense, Rob, did. Um, I remember these live nitro parties that you could submit tapes to WCW. And if your tape was selected, you would win a party where I believe it was like Mean Gene, the Nitro Girls, and I think even like one or two wrestlers from WCW would come and they would have, you would have a Nitro party. I remember like fraternities getting picked, uh, regular household families getting picked. Uh, how did all that come about? And was there anything, any difficulty when it came to filming those at the people's houses? never did any of those um but i always thought that was a brilliant idea i remember stagger lee marshall voices of tony tiger tony the tiger oh, yeah. they're great he would go ahead on the one in hundred number lines back then before we had the internet so prevalently and would actually act like he was doing certain interviews from the next town but he wasn't but um i know that advanced ticket sales and things like that. And all those things were really a good idea. I don't know who came up with it. I never did any of the segments. I never was involved with any of it, but I thought it was a really good idea because I know they, they did do that a lot. And I just remember a 1998 real man of the year, much to man, Randy Savage, when we were in Harvard at the Harvard Lampoon, the kids came out of the woodwork to see much of man uh, and that little junior parade. We just made up on the spot. I mean, it was crazy back then. I mean, it must've been fun to be a teenage kid. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was fun to be a college kid. Hold on. It was fun to be a college kid. <laughs> Shout out to Che Marsh. Hi, Che and Terry Byrne, who are fans of the show. So, Neil, we, we know that um, we just talked the last day of WCW Nitro, and it was the last day of WCW. Um, did you stay with Turner Broadcasting at all? Because you had done... you. you after wrestling, you have done a lot uh, as far as working with Turner Broadcasting. I know you were part of the Monique show, but that was like 2009, mm -hmm. ended in 2012. I know you had done stuff with CNN International, uh, various projects with C-SPAN. So if you could just please kind of fill us in, like after WCW, where did you go? They forgot we ever worked there. Um, only a few people got jobs at Turner. They act like they're going to absorb us all, but they didn't. They never liked us anyway. And it's unfortunate because I think we could have done a lot as far as working there. I think uh, there's a lot of positions we could have filled and they never, they never really respected our production. I thought we did a great job with what we had, but I don't think they ever really did. 
um, I, I ended up freelancing a little bit. It was, it was hard times after WCW because I had a pretty darn good job and making pretty good money and, and everything just kind of dried up. It was kind of kind of tough. Um, I ended up uh, doing the CN International show called The Music Room. People like Moby and people like that were on there. But that's after we had proposed a show with my friend Ralph Prada, who ran the crane sometimes for us at WCW. It was called Latino Video Billboard in Spanish and Mundo Musical in Portuguese. And they liked the show so much and how we did it. Um, some of our friends that lit some of the sets and actually the guys that worked on the Inside the NBA show that did the Thomas who did a lot of the lighting director stuff on it. He was involved and several really great camera people that we worked with um, that work on all the shows. Um, they, they stayed after on a weekend and did the show with us, but um, after Ralph showed that to CNN, they actually stole it directly off of us. Um, I, I, I didn't mind it. They, uh, it, I didn't mind it for me, but for Ralph, I was really disappointed with that. But um, that's that's how that show got involved. And then the um, I worked with the Steve Harvey Project brief, briefly, and this guy from LA was the editor. He's awesome. His timeline was just, you wouldn't believe how many stacks and layers and stuff. He was just, wow. And um, I was the assistant editor for that. Thank God I really didn't have to take over because I don't know how to, how to stretch my limits. But um, they actually saw how I worked. And the one lady asked me if I wanted to go to the Monique show to work with BET over at Turner. And of, of course, I said, yeah. And it was much better hours. It wasn't like uh, start at four o'clock in the morning show like Steve Harvey Project. It was uh, work from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. So that's how the Monique show came to be. But yeah, Turner never absorbed hardly any of us. It was really, it was pretty pitiful, really. But they gave us a heck of a severance package. You can't complain about that. Do you think that was more of a an AOL thing than a than a Time Warner thing? Do you think it was more? I guess my question is: Do you think it was more the fact that AOL was obviously purchasing the Turner company, mm -hmm. and and Eric often says lots of times that. Ted had lost his his power, Absolutely. if you will. Um, so was was it? Do you feel it was more of an AOL people kind of thing? Just saying, you know what? We don't really care about the Turner people, because I'd like to think that Ted uh, had he and and his executives had anything to to say about it, they would have kept all of the great people that that did well by them, especially for sure. people like yourself on the production side, Ted. Ted, to his last statement at Turner, he loved wrestling. He kept us around as long as he could. And if you want to uh, read a book that's great, I'll go ahead and plug my podcast, Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. It's on iTunes and iHeartRadio. My co-host, Guy Evans, wrote a book called yes. Nitro. Nitro, The Incredible Rise, the Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW. If you want to know how it all went down, he interviewed many people like 150 some people behind the scenes people that eric said he would love to have gotten meetings with and it'll tell you how it all went down in the end great book great writer great person here is here is here is my last thing for for this whole thing since you mentioned guy evans mm -hmm. and we talked about galen earlier galen mentioned to me that he was on the inside um you know working alongside uh uh, uh harvey schiller mm -hmm. um and 
long never, before never saw it for him. I never, I never saw him as a leader. But long yeah. before, long before uh, Vince Russo even got the chance to take over, mm-hmm. WCW had already. Or, I'm sorry, not WCW. Turner had already agreed to sell to AOL, and they kept it quiet. So that AOL could kind of get their people in and figure out the books and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, but, and, and, and Galen kind of mentioned this to Guy Evans. Um, and he kind of left it out of his book. That might be a question for him, um, you know, on the next podcast that was with all his, cause his book is phenomenal. I've read it cover to cover three times. It is amazing. Um, and for anyone who hasn't read it, please, this is, he talks to people that, that, you know, you, you, you just don't get to talk to, um, on, a, audio on a regular basis. Now. There's an audio version too now, by the way, which is, good. which is great. If you're in a car ride, throw that thing on and, and it is truly something to listen to. Mm-hmm. But, um, Galen says that he, he mentioned this to him and, and, and for whatever reason, they didn't, he didn't want to cover that. I don't know if maybe the WCW guys and, and the executives didn't want to kind of break that kind of news or whatever, but he kind of led me to believe at least when we were talking just a couple of weeks ago, as we mentioned mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. that, that, that W uh, that Turner actually sold to AOL you know, a couple of years prior to actually WCW going under, if you will. Oh, well, see, yeah. I, well, yeah, that did happen. Um, and, you know, Galen would know, obviously. He's a great guy. And he, he was he was on the inside much further, deeper than I ever was. But, yeah, they the AOL Time Warner, that whole thing, we, we experienced all that. And it was a rough thing from the very beginning. And we all felt the wrath of it. Yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean, the whole thing. Uh, as far as the inside workings of how it all went down, that book can explain it. I didn't know too much that was going on, but uh, I was just glad to have a job there. Yeah, and that book, that book is phenomenal. And, and if it's on audio, like I said, go on Audible, download it. Um, I've, I've read it cover to cover three times. It is phenomenal. And he, 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 that book truly, and even Eric Bischoff, if you listen to his podcast, 83 weeks, he promotes it as well, mm-hmm. um, as being the only legit, uh, story of, of, uh, or as good of a story, legit story as you're going to get as far as WCW is concerned. Yeah. Just to give a little more credibility when we were at Starcast and I, um, I was so thankful to be able to go there. Um, when we were there, Guy and I met for the first time, actually in person, we had never met each other. And we had obviously talked about the podcast and everything like that. But um, Eric actually, when I talked to him, he had me go across the hotel lobby and track Guy down to talk to him and thank him for the book. So that's how much respect he had for him on, on interviewing and telling the truth. You know, I mean, there's some bad things about Eric in there. But yet he still knows that the guy did his guy did his best to tell the truth. So that it is a great book. Truly. Yep. Nitro, the incredible rise, inevitable collapse of Ted Turner's WCW. Mm-hmm. It is a great book. And if you are not one to read or you are going to a meet and greet like November 13th and 14th at the big event and showcase of legends, Pop in the audio as, as you make your drive. It's well worth it. Trust me. 
Neil, you and I have something in common besides wrestling. We are both MTV alumni. I'll be darn. Cool. Very cool, uh, man. Rob, so if you don't know this, Neil was part of like the um, you remember the the you know music videos with the pop-up stuff? Yes, I, I'm the, that old. They, yes. Yeah, well <laughs> me too. Me yes, too. I am that old. Um they would it was perfect because they would literally come on like as soon as I was out of school to watch those and they'd have like all the neat little uh random little facts about the video or about the, the artists themselves or the producing of the video and everything. Um, Neil was uh, part of that. Uh, how did that all happen? Was that, was that talking about the MTV basement tapes you mean? Yes, yes, yes. With the, the pop-up stuff. Yeah. Pop-up well, video. The, well, the MTV basement tapes um, actually when I was in college at Bowling Green State University, we did a local music video that actually aired on mtv and that was kind of my tie-in with that and that was one of the first things i did when i got in the tv business and including that was a story that i'll tell real quick about um the 96 olympics so my very first um, paying job that i did outside of being on the camera crew with the um national champion division one national championships for hockey at bowling green was actual Greco-Roman wrestling. And I remember being in the green room and this Russian guy, he comes over there and at the last day, he opens his gym bag up at the side of the table and he rakes all the tea and stuff into his bag and steals it all. <laughs> I was like, wow, that guy must need tea. But I, one, <laughs> one thing I remember that was funny, they, they had a, a thing of crystal light, which is like Tang. And anyway, they looked at the, they looked at the, thing and they're like shaking it like it looks like water on it but it's powder they they didn't get that anyway i see him fast forward um 12 years now i'm at wcw which says world championship wrestling at cnn center 96 olympics the russians come in and they supposed to have a meeting about wrestling well they get there and they come down the hallway and i recognize the guys and i'm like uh i got a funny story to tell you i told the interpreter I said, I remember when I was in Toledo back in 1980 something, I said, I saw him open his bag and rake all those teas and they all started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that story from a long time ago, but anyway, I ended up picking him to the right spot, but I had, I had to reminisce a bit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but, I actually... uh, the pop-up videos, I'm not sure. Was, was I ever mentioned in that, Lee? I don't know. I don't know. Are you referring to anything else other than that? Uh, no, it was just, it was just something I found about that I had found out on you, um, being part of MTV. So I was just like, oh, wow. No, this is a brief thing. I wouldn't, uh, that thing may have gotten a little bit out of, uh, misconstrued a bit. I know I, I actually did a video that I ended up, um, editing a show for, it's actually for Christian broadcasting. That was a pop-up video type show. I did that too, but that was just a, one of the many things I, I got lucky enough to do. I, I got really excited when I found out that we were both MTV alumni. So I was like, hey, no, I wouldn't consider myself that for sure. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you want to go there, I was a part of the first Tough Enough, which I believe aired on MTV. Nice. So, so we're all MTV alumni. So I, there. I, Who won it? I, so there. Uh, wasn't it Maven? The, the first one was. It was Maven. 
And um, that was the one I was a part of because because Josh Matthews was making out with the girl that I was hooking up with. Um, she was the third uh, contestant. What was her name? Oh, she was from a podunk town. I can't remember her name. Eric Sims, when you watch this, remember who we brought into Ricky O's show. Because I know we brought her into Ricky O's show. Oh, I can't remember her name. She was a cute little girl. Anyways. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, my, my, my claim to fame came with uh, MTV True Life real quick for an episode. Um, real quick, I had last two, two last questions when it came to WCW. Um, there was two particular segments that really stuck out in my mind as I was sitting here and, and were reminiscing about WCW. And the first one is when Bret Hart came out and he was allowed all the airtime he wanted after his brother had died. And there were a few points where fans were actually booing. Mm. Um, did you work on any of that? And, and what, what were your thoughts now that you, you've heard that fans were actually booing at one point? I didn't hear about that and wasn't involved, but it's really sad because a guy like Owen, who was so respected in the business that everybody loved and enjoyed being around, to have somebody do that was just pretty appalling, but maybe it's because they were just being jerks, you know. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, what we call a camera in our hand is an asshole mech, so it probably proved to be true that night. And then um, the last one that I that that had also come to mind, not a similar thing, but a lot of real life perspective in it, and was uh, when Jim Duggan hacksaw Jim Duggan announced he had cancer. Um, did you play any part in, in editing or anything like that? And No, but um, I can tell you one of the funnest things I ever did was Hacksaw Jim Duggan goes to Ireland and we act like we we're searching for his, um, for his relatives. His grandma and grandpa were both rap fist champions of the early 19th century, supposedly. And we made up these Photoshop shots of him like doing doing his different poses and having his hands on his hips and everything and mm-hmm. then we we shot the back of his hand his hand both the front and back and then we used that skin to cover up his beard for the grandma part and uh that was pretty funny i mean i i know to this day when i see him he always asked how everybody was doing in that video but that was a good one awesome. <laughs> it looked like we went to the uh, uh bar to find him and just the whole the whole gag situation of coming in the door when he was trying to find his way and um, he would take we took the map and somebody had to turn it upside down because you know Jim supposedly a goofy guy and, <laughs> and that's, a, that's a really good idea and when he came in the door he had his uh, two by four with him in his case and I had to, the the whole this whole series of three Stooges type moves um, planned out to where once he come in the door he was gonna shake the hand of the guy but he spun around and he knocked the the uh, uh chair the the chairs are upside down off the off the bar and then he dropped the two by four onto the guy's foot so there's a whole series of things that you know was really funny with that whole video but that, that was that was a fun one to shoot and uh jim's always a joy to be around he's a hilarious guy and oh first time i met him we're down in center stage we did wcw saturday night and i said hi my name is neil Pruitt. i'm a feature producer with wcw jim i'm going to be working with you and I really like your character, Hacksaw. And 
I, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this video. I got some really good ideas and I got people lined up to do this. And uh, he goes, well, I, before we go any further, he goes, I want to tell you one thing. He goes, uh, so I just want to let you know, you know, my character on TV is really goofy and everything like that. He goes, but, you know, I, I did, I did graduate from SMU and I, I just was, I was messing with him. I go, so what's your point? <laughs> and he was like and then he started laughing because he knew i was messing with him but the reason why i said that is because he he's from glens falls new york great player in high school went down to smu graduated yeah he was uh, uh in, in charge of uh being with eric dickerson so i knew that you know that whole smu thing they were all getting paid and you know they they were all uh leading a life of prejudice privilege let's put it that way so that's kind of what i busted him on but after that you know we were we were friends for life oh wow awesome uh <laughs> neil i know, for I know those, you... and for those who don't know about smu 30 for 30. that's right go on there hear it all it's really yeah. good uh, neil i want to thank you for coming on the show today sharing fantastic stories uh, we'd love to have you come back on and, and we know we only touched like a tenth of <laughs> anything that you can hear on Neil Perrett's Secret of WCW Nitro. You can check that out on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you go listen to it. Phenomenal information. Neil, I want you to take this time and go ahead and plug anything you're working on now, any social media that you have. Plug the podcast again, even though I just did it. The floor is yours. Well, I wanted to thank Guy Evans just for getting me involved in the first place. He wanted to promote the book Nitro, The Incredible Rise, Inevitable Collapse of WCW. And I was going to do eight segments. He said, hey, if you, he interviewed me for about an hour and a half for the book. And he goes, hey, if you think of anything else, just do uh, an audio recording of it and send it to me. So I told him the story about being in Alcatraz and actually doing the video backwards with Roddy Piper, the way we had to do it, we had to shoot the whole segment backwards. And he really liked that because it was a podcast or a story like no other podcast because we talked about the production of it all. And that's what we do on uh, Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. We talk about the production, how we did it, who we talked to, what the information was. We didn't care who won or lost. We don't talk about anything negative. We don't uh, go off on any um, thing of making fun of anybody or anything like that. Just a straight up, we tell you how, to, how we did it. And I think you'd really enjoy it if you're a wrestling fan in general, because it's an angle that you won't hear anywhere else. And the reason why I did it was because we got a pretty good reaction off the first eight and we're up to 42 now, I think. And I want to, I want to do some more and I need to start some more up. Uh, I've been, pretty busy doing what I do, um, still producing in Atlanta, which I really enjoy, but um, we're gonna try to get some more going here pretty soon. But thanks to your research, Leah, it was incredible on how many things you knew about what we did in the past. And I know uh, I really have to watch my mouth from now on because you'll bust me next time. <laughs> but, uh, Rob, I definitely like to meet up with you at some point too and talk about you know how WWE did their stuff. I was always interested in finding out how everything went down because i always to this day i've been in video production for 30 some years and i still learn every day on how to do different productions and how to better myself um, as far as communication goes as far as telling other people how to act in front of the camera 
And that's probably what I've done the best in my career is making people feel comfortable because I personally am not, I'm not comfortable myself in front of cameras. So this opportunity to do the podcast has really helped me get more involved with understanding you don't have to be perfect when you're in front of the camera, you just tell your stories and hopefully somebody enjoy it. But thank you for uh, watching as younger people and enjoying what we did. And we just appreciated doing it every day for you and having fun doing it. And I couldn't have done it without the production crews that I had because they were the best in the business and they would do anything for us to get the point across and get the message out there. And thank you for that career. I really enjoyed it. Well, Neil, I can tell you, uh, I, I speak from for college kids uh, worldwide, <laughs> but I can tell you, uh, my best friend, Matt Phelan, is going to watch this and he'll tell you every Monday night, the NWO was in, in Seton Hall's house, Sweet. Uh, Seton Hall University, and, and we loved it. The fraternities loved it. We had Nitro parties. We're sorry the Nitro girls didn't come to Seton Hall, but we, we, we did it all. We seen it all. And, Neil, the next time you want to come to Orlando, you come down, you visit me. We'll go down to Hogan's and Clearwater. And maybe Sonny might even fly from Iowa, too, because, you know, he that just works. loves hop. He loves excuses to hop on a plane and come visit me. He does. He, I, I met him in Atlanta not too long ago. We had a great time, as always. Talked to him sometimes on the phone. and, and uh, Enjoyed talking to Stevie Ray, too, his his podcast on Twitch and, and YouTube is fun. So you're the eighth, the eighth viewer. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Stevie Ray. <laughs> I Neil, love Stevie. I love Stevie. Again, we can't thank you enough. We'd love to have you come back on so you can, you can pick Rob's brain. And uh, for the fact that as Rob is a college kid, me as a teenager, uh, watching WCW back then, speaking for all of them. Thank you. Phenomenal. Love yes, sir. It. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having uh, me on, guys. Absolutely. Uh, I'll have to edit this part out before I, we're going to stop hang recording. Tight. We're going to stop recording real quick. Just hang tight. The preceding podcast has not been sanctioned by the New World Order. <laughs> Rob, you know what to do. Hey, guys, as always, there's only one way to do this, and it's spoiler-free. It's the way to be. We're out. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching that video. If you liked what you saw, make sure you hit the like button, and make sure you hit subscribe so you can get all our content here at Perched on the Top Row. And fans, remember, spoiler-free's the way to be. I'm out. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.